One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. If you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3 this morning. And um, we are continuing our series that we're calling Possessing the Land. And here's what we are talking about. Uh, We are talking about moving into the destiny that God has for every single one of us. I I hope you know this by now, that God's plan for you is more than just eking it into heaven when you die. God wants that for you, but there's a lot more that God has for you between now and then. In, In fact, God doesn't just want you to go to heaven. He has a destiny prepared for you. And here's what I believe, that you can make it to heaven and miss your destiny. Moses made it to heaven, but he missed the promised land. He missed his destiny. He missed his calling. And many of us, many people of faith, will make it to heaven. But I don't know about you. I don't want to just make it to heaven. I want to live in the fullness of everything God has for my life. When I get to heaven, I want to be wrung out and used up and just tapped out. I don't want to make it to heaven and think... You know, I'm, I've just been sitting around doing nothing, just waiting to get here. I want to I make it to heaven and have a, a great reward for eternity. Amen? And so that's what we're talking about in the book of Joshua. And today, uh, we're going to get into Joshua 3. And I asked just a couple of minutes ago, I asked Marjorie to come and read uh, Joshua chapter 3. And so Marjorie, would you come up? I know I'm putting you on the spot. But Marjorie, it, do you still lead a Bible study, Marjorie? Yes, I do. Marjorie leads a Bible study, so I know she knows how to read the Bible. So, Marjorie, take it away. Yes, I do. I know how to read. Um, All right, we're going to be reading the entire book of Joshua 3, and forgive me if I mispronounce anything. That's all right. Strong and confident. Yes. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, 
As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come up, come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark of the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Awesome. Let's give Marjorie a round of applause. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that it is living and active. And God, today as we come to your word, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, I pray, Lord, that this would be more than my thoughts, my ideas, Lord, or the thoughts of man. I pray, God, that it would be from your heart, your lips into our lives today. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about moving in the miraculous. Moving in the miraculous. <clears throat> How many of you know that most of life as a follower of Jesus is not very miraculous feeling? I don't know about you, but most of my life as a follower of Jesus, my life of faith in following Jesus doesn't feel very miraculous. It oftentimes just feels pretty normal. Uh, I mean, maybe some of you uh, multiply fish and loaves every morning for breakfast, but that's not my experience. Most of my life as a follower of Jesus is, is, doesn't feel very miraculous. It actually feels pretty mundane. It, it just feels like a pretty normal life. It, it kind of feels like uh, Groundhog Day. You know what I'm saying? Wake up, uh, you know, have some breakfast, get dressed, get to work, you know, check your email, get through all of that. Um, you know, get home, try to get some dinner on the table, maybe get a little workout and, you know, clean up the kitchen and go to bed and do it all over again the next day. Anybody, your day normally sounds a little bit something like that. It doesn't feel very miraculous. It actually just feels pretty mundane. It just feels like a normal life. And in fact, I think it's important for us to recognize that as followers of Jesus, it's actually faithfulness in the monotony, in the mundane, in the manic Monday moments that position us in a place to receive everything that God has for us. You know, there's some people that live just, uh, you know, on a, a spiritual mountain all the time. But I have to tell you, uh, God doesn't stay on the mountaintop all the time. He comes down, the Bible says, to the level places. He comes down to the everyday places. And that's really where Israel was living. As we've read the history of Israel, or you read the history of Israel in the book of Exodus and moving into Joshua, uh, it, they were living in just kind of this mundane reality. 
I mean, it was even less exciting than what I just described to you a second ago. I mean, if, if you were to uh, go through a day in the life of Israel, it looks something like this. Wake up in the morning, eat manna, start walking. See a rock, keep walking. Eat manna for lunch, keep walking. See another rock, keep walking. Eat manna for dinner, keep walking. See another rock, sleep by the rock, wake up and continue the next day and the next day and the next day. In fact, for 40 years, they had been doing the same thing, walking the same way, wandering the same wilderness, looking at the same rocks, seeing the same scenery, eating the same food for breakfast. And you say, well, yeah, that food was miracle food. It was manna from heaven. But how many of you know, after 40 years of eating the same thing, I don't care what it is, it becomes mundane. It becomes monotonous. And that's, that's the life that Israel had been in, just 40 years of the mundane. But then there are moments when we come to a place where we face a problem, face an obstacle, face an opposition, face something that in the natural is immovable. That regardless of how well we plan, regardless of how well we organize and strategize and, and you know, work our best efforts, we oftentimes in life reach moments that, that on our own strength, we're totally powerless to get through it, powerless to get across it. And that's where Israel was after walking in the wilderness and God calling them to move into the promised land. Now they're at the edge of the promised land. They can see it across the river, but between them and the promised land, between their present situation and the purpose that God had for them was the Jordan River. And the Bible says that it had flooded its banks. In other words, it was overflowing and it was too wide for them to cross. In fact, the Jordan River, if you know the topography of the land, the Jordan River sits in a structural depression. In fact, it's the lowest river in, on, on the whole earth. It's a structural depression, uh, the lowest river in the whole, on the whole earth, and it empties into the Dead Sea. Have you ever kind of come to a place like that where it's a low point? It feels like it's a, it's a depression, and, and if you get in the river, it's just going to lead to the Dead Sea. Have you ever found yourself in that sort of place where it's like, God, I don't know what to do. I'll, I'll keep walking, I'll keep moving, but, but if you don't show up, this is an impossible situation. And, and here's what I want us to see, that when we as followers of Jesus, we as God's people face an immovable situation, an immovable situation is an opportunity for the miraculous power of God to show up in our lives. And that's what happened for Israel. I mean, uh, let's, let's just recognize what happened in this story. The Bible says that when they began to move into the Jordan River, that the Jordan River began to pile up as a heap. Now, I don't know about you, but where I come from, water doesn't stand up in a pile. Is it the same where you came from? Water doesn't stand up in a pile. I'm not a very smart man, but I know this, that water goes to the lowest point. And so this was in fact, a miracle. God worked a miracle. And as we read through the book of Joshua, we can't help but recognize that God is a miracle-working God. 
When you read the book of Joshua, there's a lot of great things in the book of Joshua. Leadership lessons and principles on teamwork and, uh, you know, uh, wisdom and all kinds of things and how to organize and that sort of thing. But, but if you read the book of Joshua, you, you can't help but recognize that God is a miracle-working God. I mean, we'll see not only does the water stand up as a heap, but the sun stands still. Uh, miracle after miracle. And here's what I want us to recognize, that not only in the book of Joshua, but if you were a follower of Jesus, you can't help but read this Bible. Or when you read this book, you can't help but recognize that God is a miracle-working God. God supersedes what we know in the natural. Now, oftentimes in our modern scientific age, and the age of reason, Many people would look at this and say, well, that's got to be, you know, allegorical. That's got to be a hyperbole. That can't really have happened. This is, you know, it's, it's just a good book. And there actually has been in recent history an attempt to take the miracles out of the Bible, to explain them away, and to, to you know, to uh, make it just a mere book of moral goodness. Meaning, well, this, they, they didn't really cross the Jordan, or, you know, the water didn't really stand up as a heap. It's just the moral message that God will help you to cross difficult circumstances. And yes, God will help you, but we can't deny that God is a miracle-working God. You see, many people would try to deny the power of God in history and the power of God specifically in working miracles. And, uh, but the, the reality is, and even for us as followers of Jesus, if we remove the power of God, the, the miracle-working power of God in the Bible, what we are doing is removing the power that authenticates the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and ultimately even the morality is on, a, uh, is on shifting sand. The very thing that makes the morality of the Bible authoritative is that God is God and I am not. And how do I know that God is God and I am not? He can make water stand up in a heap. He can make the sun stand still. He can turn a couple of fish and a couple of loaves into a meal for 5,000. Now, are there natural laws that govern the world? Yes, there are natural laws, but God put them in order. And how many of you know if God put them in order, God can supersede them? God can supersede them. And so the idea that says, well, we can't really believe the miracles of the Bible, here's the irony of it, is that it is based on a presupposition, and it is this, that just because I've never seen it, it has never happened, and it can never happen, which is the very thing that scientists should not do. They should not start with a presumed outcome. And in fact, history, even in recent history, archaeological digs in this area have revealed the exact location of the cities that Joshua speaks of and that there was through archaeology, they, they have seen that there was a, a dramatic shift in the culture at the very time and dates that Joshua speaks of. There was a dramatic shift in the culture that can only be explained through another nation coming in and, and taking over that city. And so archaeology confirms it, that the Bible is true. 
And here's what I want you to understand, that we as followers of Jesus have every reason to believe in miracles. In fact, the whole, the whole guts of the gospel, the whole basis of our faith is based on the belief that God created everything from nothing. And that He has sent His Son in the form of Jesus Christ to die on the cross and rise from the dead in order to redeem us. And that He sent the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So we will raise to new life again. The whole basis of the Bible is based on the miraculous. And so we as followers of Jesus, if we want to move into the destiny that God has for us, the purpose that God has for us, we must be willing to move in the miraculous. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone, and we need to be willing to step into the zone of the unknown, the the supernatural space. That's what God is calling us to do. I want to tell you, in 2022, as the church is shaking across the world and clamoring for, how do we get everybody back to church? Well, let me tell you this. What will get people back to church? And, and let me tell you, there's a better, uh, a better goal than just getting people back to church, advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. And what will advance the kingdom of God on the earth is not my strategy. It's not better laser lights and a bigger smoke machine and cool, nifty programs. Nothing wrong with any of that. What will advance the kingdom of God, what will cause the the world to take notice, is people that are walking in the supernatural power of God, walking in and moving in the miraculous. God is calling us to be a people that move in the miraculous. And I'm believing that. I'm believing it. Even as I'm turning 40, I'm saying, God, I'm stepping into a new season. I'm moving into a new season. And I'm believing you for greater things than I've seen up until this point. I'm believing you for miracle salvations. I'm believing you for miracle deliverance. I'm believing you for addictions to be broken miraculously. I'm believing for Miracle healings. I'm, I'm so grateful for medicine and for doctors and all of the, the, the gifts of healing that, the Bible has, that God has given to us and the Bible recognizes. But I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. I want to see miraculous gifts, prophetic words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom that everybody goes, wow, how do they know that? It's a miracle. It's the work of God. I want to see miracle opportunities and miracle provision. I want to move in the miraculous. I don't want to be a person that just hears about it and celebrates what was. I want to see, once again, the miracle power of God in my life, in my generation. And here Israel had undoubtedly heard of how God had brought Israel through the Red Sea. But now they are 40 years later, another generation, that generation had passed away, and all they knew was a story of what God had done in the past. And I don't know about you, I don't want to just tell the story of what God did 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 or 500 years ago. I want to see God do it again. I want to see God do it again. I love what John Wimber says. He got saved. And uh, he assumed that what Christians did, he was not brought up in the church at all, and he got radically saved out of kind of a background of, of drug, sex, rock and roll. Not that rock and roll is bad, but you know what I'm saying. Um, he got saved out of that, and he thought, 
I guess what Christians do is they get together on Sunday, hang out a little bit together. You know, maybe they look at what the Bible says and talk about that and then go out and do it. And so he went to church. And uh, after a couple of months, he said to one of the leaders in the church, hey, hey, when do we do it? We'll do what? We'll do the stuff. The, the, the praying for the sick and all the things Jesus did. When do we do the stuff? He said, oh, no, we don't do the stuff. We just believe the stuff can be done and was done. And we celebrate that others have done the stuff, but we don't actually do the stuff. And he said, well, when I used to work for Satan, Satan at least let me do his stuff. He let me do his stuff. I want God to let me do his stuff. I, I, I will say this. I want to do the stuff. I don't want to just hear about it. Is it risky? Is it a little scary? Is it out of our comfort zone? Absolutely. But I want to move into everything that God has for me and for us as a church. I want us to move in the miraculous. And so I want to give us a few things today that I believe we need to do, we need to recognize, we need to emphasize if we're going to be people that move in the miraculous, as scary as it may be, as, as stretching as it may be. The first thing I want us to see is this, that miracles are released when we pursue the presence of God. Miracles are released when we pursue the presence of God. Notice what the scripture says in verse 3 of the chapter we read. God says to Joshua, I want first the ark to go before you. The ark was the place in the old covenant where the manifest presence of God dwelt in the ark. Now we know God can never live in a space. He can never be limited. He can never be limited to a building. But it was the place where he chose to reveal himself to people. And so... God said, I, I want you to send the ark in first. And then he says this, when you see the ark, I want you to go after it. I love that. Go after it. I, I want you, there, there's something in that that speaks of, um, you know, an energy. I want you to go after the ark. But here's what I want you to see, that they weren't going after the miracles. They were pursuing the presence of God. You see, we don't pursue miracles. We pursue Jesus. We follow Jesus. Miracles are wonderful, and, and God wants to give miracles, but we don't chase miracles. We follow Jesus. If we chase miracles, we may end up off in some spirituality, but it may be a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. And so we want to fixate on Jesus. We want to focus on Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. But here's the reality that as we follow Jesus, the Bible says this, these signs shall follow those who believe. As we follow Jesus, signs and miracles will follow us. And so we focus, we pursue the presence of Jesus. And that's one of the words that the Bible uses for miracles is signs, wonders, power. But that word sign, I think, is important. Because a sign is uh, simply that. It is a sign. It's not the substance does that make sense? If, if you arrive in Orlando and you see the sign that says, Welcome to Orlando, and you hear the, the voice on the train, Welcome to Orlando, this is Mayor Buddy Dyer. How many of you know you don't just stop right there and go, I'm in Orlando, I've arrived. No, you keep going. You keep going. What is a sign? A sign just lets you that you are headed, know that you're headed in the right direction. And when signs come, when healings come, when deliverance comes, when 
uh, miracle provision comes, we don't camp out there. We're not following a miracle. We're following Jesus. And so the signs will point us to Jesus. It will point us into the fullness of the kingdom of God. But we, we are pursuing the presence, not miracles. We, we also, as we pursue the presence, it's important for us to recognize that we don't follow a formula. We're led by the Spirit. We don't follow a formula. We're led by the Spirit. Now, formulas are awesome. How many of you, when you're baking, you like to have a recipe? They, they can be good. But ultimately, God wants to bring us to a place, as followers of Jesus, that we are not following a formula. We are being led by the Spirit. We are learning to follow the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. When Israel crossed the Red Sea, how did they cross the Red Sea? Moses raised his staff. Moses raised his rod. But now, God is saying, I want you to do something different. I, I'm, I don't want you to do the rod thing. I want you to step in. I want you to send the ark in first. How many of you know, oftentimes in church, we love to see what God does. We like to make it a pattern, make it a formula, and then work the formula. This prayer worked last time. This is my prayer. I'm going to work that bad boy. You know what I'm saying? This is the thing. You got to pray it this way. You got to kind of quiver your voice this way. You got to, you know, do it, whatever it is. Make the formula and work the formula. And, and I can imagine at this time, there was probably some people that went, man, I love that rod thing. Come on, let's do the rod thing again. Joshua, would you do the rod thing that, Aaron, or the, that Moses used to do? Do the rod thing. And how many of you know, there was probably some entrepreneurial, you know, Hebrew there that was selling rods, miracle working rods for sale. Come and get your rods. Come and get your rods. Am I right, JD? They probably were. Selling the rods, making the formula. But mature followers of Jesus don't follow a formula. We learn to be led by the Spirit. We learn to listen to the Spirit. We learn to see what God is doing. And we learn to be led by that. God said to Joshua, when you see the ark, in other words, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be sensitive. You've got to be listening. You've got to be watching. How many of you know something can be there and you not see it? Any of you men like me? I go to look for something in the closet. Jennifer says, it's right there. I'm saying, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking all over the place. I'm telling you, it is not here. And then she comes, and God works a miracle and somehow puts that item right in front of me just to humble me. Right? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Here, here's the problem I'm not seeing. And sometimes we can fall into a spiritual desensitization. We can be spiritually desensitized. We lose our sensitivity. We're, we're not aware, we're not listening, we're not seeing in order to be able to respond. So we don't want to follow the formula. We want to learn to be led by the Spirit. It's not about the rod, it's about God. Amen? And also, as we pursue the presence of God, I love what it says here. That it said, uh, Notice this in verse 3 and 4. God says, you shall set out from the place and go after it, yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by, by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you've not been this way before. I, I love that phrase, you've not been this way before. How many of you know 
when you make a plan, you can only base your plan on what you know. But if you've never been there before, you can only plan according to what you know. We've never been here before. We've never been where God is wanting to take us before. We can learn from the past, but we've got to follow the Spirit. And he says this, there should be a space between you and the ark. In other words, uh, maintain a following distance. Or, or I could say it this way, don't get ahead of God. Anybody ever gotten ahead of God? <laughs> Have you ever, God tells you something and then you just say, yes, sir, roger that, and you try to go do it, and it doesn't work. And you think, well, God, didn't you say you were going to do it? And he says, yes. I said I was going to do it, not you're going to do it. And now you're trying to do it. Do you remember what happened when Abraham had a word from God, you're going you're gonna to be a father of many nations? And he had a word, but he didn't like the pace at which it unfolded. Do you remember what he did? He said, I'm going to go make this thing happen. I'm going to have a baby. One way or another, I'm going to have a baby. And how many of you know he didn't get a miracle? He got a mess. (laughs) When we get out of, let me say it this way, the slipstream of the Spirit, we are now in the flesh, moving in the flesh. And when we try to do in the flesh what God has said he would do in the spirit, we don't get a miracle, we get a mess. And I don't know about you, I don't want any more messes in my life. I, I want to follow the Holy Spirit. And just as there is in, you know, if you're driving down the interstate, there's a semi-truck. You're probably not supposed to get this close, but if you get this close, you can actually save some gas, hallelujah, uh, by following and get in the slipstream of the truck, right? Or in cycling, there's the same way. You get behind uh, another cyclist and you're drafting off of their energy and you can actually go further and you can go faster than you could in your own power but you've got to follow them. You've got to submit to them. You've got to come under them and come behind them. And sometimes we don't want to do that because we want to do it our way. We want to do our thing. And God says to Israel, you need to maintain a following distance. Don't get ahead of me. Listen to this. When we follow the Spirit and we're aware of what God is saying, miraculous opportunities will, will present themselves. Sometimes people think, I'm going to go heal the sick. Let me go find somebody. You, get ready to be healed. Normally, that doesn't work. Normally, you'll create a mess. You see somebody, I'm going to cast out a demon. You look like you've got a demon. Come here. You'll get arrested. Okay? You will, you, you will get arrested. You will have a mess. But if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, You're going to be aware. What's God saying? What's God doing in the moment? The greatest way to discern what God is doing is just fill yourself with this. Fill yourself with this. And so number one, miracles happen when we pursue the presence of God. The second thing I want you to see is that miracles are released when we step out in faith. If we want to move into what God has for us, if we want to be a church that moves in the supernatural, that sees miraculous breakthrough in our lives corporately and in our lives individually, we need to recognize that miracles happen when we step out in faith. Let me say it this way. Miracles don't fall out of the sky. 
miracles don't fall out of the sky. Notice what God said to Israel. He says, I want you, uh, verse 8, he says, When you have come to the edge of the Jordan, you shall stand in it. Everybody say stand. In other words, you're going to come to the edge, and when you reach the edge, I want you to begin to move into it. You're going to have to step into it. You're going to have to take some action. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, that would probably be easy. I may be real full of faith when I'm a mile away, but as I start to get a little closer, I may begin to waver a little bit. Uh, How many of you know it would be easy if God would split the river when you're still half a mile away? Yeah, I'm full of faith. Come on, we're moving in. The river's parted. That's not what God did. They walked right up to the edge of it. I have a feeling as they got a little closer, it went from big steps to half a step, three quarters of a step, baby steps, baby steps. But at some point, they had to get in it. They had to They had to put their feet in it. They had to stand in it. And here's what I want you to see. We can talk about the miraculous. We can study the miraculous. We can parse the Greek of what the miracles mean. I mean, they could have sat on the side and they could have, you know, talked about the prophetic significance of the Jordan River. And all they could have had a conference right there on the side of the river. But how many of you know at some point they had to move? And here's the key. If we want to move in the miraculous, we've got to move. We've got to be willing to move. We've got to be willing to step out. Joshua came up to me during worship and said, I feel like God wants to heal people. Now, he could have just sat in his seat and and done nothing. And we can be pretty much guaranteed God would do nothing. Now, I don't know what happened in that moment. I don't know if people got healed in that moment. In fact, if anybody did get healed, you can put your hand up. Anybody feel any different? It's okay if they didn't. But here's what I I would say. When we pray for nobody, you know how many people will get healed? Nada. When we pray for a bunch of people, do you know how many will be healed? Some. Some people will be healed. I love what Nikki Gumbel says. When, When I pray, coincidences happen coincidences happen. And we don't know exactly how God cut off the Jordan River. We don't know if there was some active nature that redirected it in a different route or if it it was just straight up a pile of water. We don't know. But what we do know is that it was a miracle that at the very moment their foot touched the water, the, the, the river dried up. The river dried up. We've got to be willing to move. We can shout about it. We can pray about it. We can sing about it. Sometime we've got to actually do it. And, and here's why. Because faith is acting like what God said is true. Let me say that again. Here's a simple definition of faith. What's faith? Faith is acting, key word, like what God says is true. Because it is. It's more true than what I see. It's more true than what I hear. It's more true than what I have experienced. I'm not living by my feeling, and I'm not walking by my feeling. I'm walking by faith. The Bible says that the things that are seen were created from things which weren't seen. 
You know the, little, the, the dirty little secret of the, 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 the science community, and we love science and we love scientists, but here's the dirty little secret, is they don't know where the world came from. They, they don't know where it came from. You see, at some point, they can study it, they can look at all the history, they can come up with hypotheses. At some point, they're making a leap of faith just like everybody else. We've got to act like what God is, says is true. Let me give you an illustration. I, I recently uh, was in Switzerland, and uh, this is not that spiritual of an illustration, but I think you'll understand. I was recently in Switzerland, and I was in a city called Bienne, which is where all the luxury watchmakers have their headquarters. And so I kind of got interested in these watch companies. Omega is there, Rolex is there, Breitling is there, Swatch is there, and I kind of got interested in it. And there was recently, I know some of you are totally, do not care about this at all, but forgive me, using an illustration that, that is interesting to me. Recently, Omega released uh, a watch in collaboration with Swatch and uh, called the Moon Swatch. And uh, it was a replica of a very expensive uh, Omega Speedmaster that Omega makes, but it was made with the Swatch material, so it was kind of an Omega watch that everybody could get because it was at a Swatch price point, okay? So watch geeks around the world. How many of you know there's, a, there's geeks in everything? Car geeks, there's jeans geeks, there's sneaker geeks, okay? So they lined up around the world outside of Swatch stores. In fact, I've got a photo of it. This is a Swatch store. I don't know what city it's in. But they lined up outside of the Swatch stores. Why did they line up? Because they had heard that the Omega Moon Swatch was at hand, available. Or in the words of Jesus, it is at hand. It's available. And so they, they lined up there, and, and people pressed in. And it was available to everybody, but not everybody got one. Do you know who got the moon swatch? It's like the Apple, uh, an Apple release. You know who gets it? Those who press in. Those who are, who are not passive. Those who say, not just say, I believe in the moon swatch. I believe the moon swatch exists. I believe that the moon swatch is available. The people that got the moon swatch, again, this is not a spiritual illustration, but bear with me. The people that got the moon swatch are the ones that said, I'm going to get a moon swatch. I'm moving in, and I'm going to get a moon swatch. Get out of my way. That moon swatch is mine. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. In other words, he doesn't say the kingdom of heaven suffers kindness, and the kind take it by force. Kindness is good. We should be kind. But, but kindness will not, will not receive everything that God has. We've got to be willing to move. There's got to be something in us that presses in. Let me say it this way. Faith is not faith until it gets to your feet. It can be in my head. It can be in my heart. It can be in this book. But if it's not in my feet, it's not faith. Because faith without works is dead. 
So I can believe everything the Bible says. I can have it on a coffee cup. I can have it on a plaque on my wall. I can put it on my Facebook profile. I can post things every day until everybody unfollows me. But if I've never done anything, I'll never see anything. Because miracles are released when we step out. And here's what I want to ask to us as a church. Are we willing to step out? Worship team, you can come back up. Are we willing to step out? Are we willing to risk looking foolish? Are we willing, how many of you know, the people in that Moonswatch store looked foolish? If you don't believe me, just Google um, Black Friday crowds. It's ridiculous. But if people can be ridiculous about getting a new TV, if people can be ridiculous about getting a new pair of sneakers, if people can get ridiculous about something in the natural, how much more should we be willing to look the fool for Jesus? To step out. And here's what I want you to see is that when you put a demand on God, God honors His Word. God wants people to put themselves in a position that if God doesn't show up, they look ridiculous. And God says, that's the moment I'm going to show up. I'm going to honor my word. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Joshua and all of Israel, million people behind him, he's heading towards the Jordan. And I don't know what was going on in Joshua's mind. Joshua may have been saying, Lord, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to keep going in the river and I'm going to drown myself because I don't want to see anybody else. He, he may have just said, God, if this doesn't work, you better take me. But God, I'm trusting you. And I'm going to step. I'm going to keep stepping confidently. The Bible says this, let us therefore not cast away our confidence, which has great reward. For we have need of endurance because after having done the will of God, we will receive the promise. If we want what God has for us, if we want what God has promised to us, we need to be people that are willing to move into everything that God has for us. Would you stand to your feet this morning?